Welcome to Revelation Warning, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Robert Thibodeau as he interviews prophecy experts from around the world as we discuss current events in relation to Bible prophecy. All of this is to give the world a final Revelation Warning. Now, here is your host with this week's guest, Pastor Robert Thibodeau. everyone everywhere pastor robert thibodeau here welcome to the revelation warning podcast we're so blessed that you're joining us today scott wright or t.s wright as he's known by is the author and presenter of the god-centered concept series this series is focused on connecting to god through discipleship and he does this by helping us understand the processes that god's word readily gives us in order to draw closer to him he's published a journal called god Center concept journal making god's word my ways now he has a goal of launching this series on a large scale reaching churches and organizations with this curriculum that will change their churches from simple institutions into a movement He's also a podcaster, has a truly great podcast called The God-Centered Concept as well. Now, you really need to listen and subscribe to this podcast because it is amazing. But he's also a huge student of the end-time scenarios dealing with the book of Revelation, the end days, the seven ages of the church. And he's been on our podcast before. I've asked him to come back on the program today as we're continuing a series of interviews discussing the church ages. Last time, we shared about the first church age. And if you missed that interview, go back to the archives on the Revelation Warning podcast. Listen to episode number 29. Now, today, we're going to go back to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, as Scott will be sharing about the end of the first church age and the beginning of the second. Help me welcome back to the program, Thomas Scott Wright, or T.S. Wright. Scott, it's a blessing to have you back on the program today. Hey, it's great to be here and looking forward to our discussion today. Get Amen. To, no. get to start knocking down some of the more details of the of the ages yeah. of the church. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to this. Amen. Like I say, you've been on our podcast before, but for the listening audience who may have not heard your interview earlier, tell us in your own words, who is T.S. Wright? Well, T.S. Wright is obviously my uh, author name, and I've I've written uh, some books. We call them the GCC series, God-Centered Concept. Also, I have a podcast, and with that podcast, we break down God's processes and how to connect to His Word and to Him through those processes. So, you know, God has layered processes out in the Word of God. He's done that in the Bible for us to follow, and if we follow them, it helps us to deepen our relationship and our connection, but it also sets the right attitude and mindset inside of us so that we do not lose him in life because that can happen so easy. I think for so many people nowadays, it's so easy to let all the things that go on in life and all the busyness and, and things that we get caught up in, whether it's careers, even family, and you know, it can be anything. Then we lose that. So these processes help us not only to connect to him deeper, but to stay connected with him. As Paul says in Galatians, we don't we don't only walk in the spirit, but we got to keep in step with the spirit. And this yeah, is designed to help people do that. Amen. Now, first of all, let's catch up on your God-centered concept series. Explain what it is you're trying to do with this series. Well, it's really threefold. Number one, it's teaching people the processes of the word of God to help them with that deep connection and setting the right mindset and attitude. And, and so there's discipleship built into that. 
from a personal level of that connection. Second, it's to build your ability to share your faith, not only the gospel itself, but also how to disciple people so they can go do the same. And then the third is really in kind of the, the macro part of this is to help awaken the church to do what it's called to do. And that is, this is a movement, not an institution. Amen. So we have to, you know, we, we need to distinguish between those two. And the series is designed to get the church out of its institutionalization and into that movement phase that it needs to be in. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, last time we covered the first church age, without covering too much of what we already talked about, just catch us up with that, with a synopsis of the first church age for those who may not have heard the prior interview. Sure. The first church age was really about the beginning and our early church fathers, I guess is a way, if you want to say it, uh, the disciples that were connected to Jesus and then the followers of those disciples and how that was established. But the main premise of what would switch that age is that the the Jewish influence over trying to stop the spread of Christianity was removed. Mm. And that is the trigger. And so when and it's and it becomes about the Gentiles. So when Paul or excuse me, when Peter has the Acts 10 vision, and so you guys can read Acts 10 to understand how that how that happened. That is the start of the age of the Gentiles, and that is the start of the age of the first, that is the start of the first age of the church. When this happens, the clock starts ticking, and the first age of the church, a big significant part of that is how the Jewish factions that were in control and in power at that time, it's really about a process of them being removed over a hundred-year period. And the first age of the church lasts right at about a hundred years. Amen. Amen. And the final removal is in is with the put down of the last Jewish revolt around 135 to 136 AD by the Emperor Hadrian, and he dies in 138. Okay. So and, that, and then, that ends the first age of the church. Okay, so then we get into the second church age. What was the purpose of the second church age? And let's go into that. So now that that Jewish influence has been removed of from stopping the spread of Christianity and stopping the spread of the gospel, now we have the Roman Empire that's trying to do the same thing. And the Roman Empire had already been doing that some, but they had other focuses as well. Now that it becomes more of a primary focus to stop the spread of Christianity. But also during this time, is the development of the church and its philosophies and theologies, including what writings need to be considered sacred, which we will eventually call the New Testament. So there's a lot of these. It's really a time of upheaval. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride is the best way for me to equate it to today's life. And it's the church is on this crazy roller coaster. There's persecution by the Roman Empire. There is even persecution amongst Christians to Christians because of different theological points of view. And they take a very aggressive stand against things that they think they think is heresy. So that goes on a lot. And there's just a lot of upheaval with churches trying to decide what is sacred, what needs to be followed and what does not. 
you know, the, the evolution of the New Testament is that it's an evolution. It does not all happen at one council. It takes time for this to be sorted out through um, through the different popes and bishops and all the people that would have been in place in that hierarchy and that structure. So that is also a part of this. We have one of the first accounts of, of a follower of Jesus being persecuted, Perpetua, and her slave's felicity. And so that's a written account of her and her martyrdom. So that happens. So we get we get guys like Origin of Alexandria. We have um, we have different aspects, okay, that in different in different things that come out during this time. I always think one of the most interesting ones, one of the most interesting one is the Edict of Milan. So the Edict of Milan is going to happen around 317. All right. So okay. there's a little bit of argument on some of these dates, but that one, that one's pretty solid because Roman the Romans kept pretty good records of that stuff. And the Emperor Constantine, of course, we know about the vision and he sees and then he wins the battle. And then the Edict of Milan, and that starts the process of the Roman Empire starting to embrace Christianity. A lot of people think that that actually was the trigger that stopped the second age of the church and, and entered the third age of the church. But that's not true because persecution still went on. It just started to slow down. What it was, much like what's going to happen in 1517 when Martin Luther posts the 95 Thesis, the 95 Thesis does not end, okay, the fourth age of the church. What it is, it's kind of one of those major signs, just like the Edict of Milan is in 317, of a switching that's coming. And it takes another 15 to 20 years for that, about 20 years for that to happen, is what, in, in both of those cases. So what happens in 317 is we get the Edict of Milan, and then Christianity starts to slowly be accepted. But the vent is the Roman emperor himself, Constantine, in 337 is baptized right before he dies. He sees the need to be baptized to establish his faith and to retain and attain to salvation. And he does that right before he dies. Amen. That is the trigger event that switches the second age of the church to the third age of the church. Amen. So explain the edict of Milan. Well, and I'm, I don't want to get too deep into it, and I'll write, when I do the books, I'll write a little bit more about that. But the Edict of Milan is basically this. It was an edict put out that started, that really was to ex start accepting Christianity, and that Christianity would be uh, a religion of the Roman Empire. And so there's a lot of, and, and there's a lot of different scholars that say different things about it, but it is obviously a major event. Because now it stop it starts that process of stopping the persecution of Christians, and now the church can op can operate in a more open way. But I, but I'm going to say this: there is still persecution that goes on after this, and it's some of it's between Christians. It's still Romans to Christians. It doesn't totally stop, and the emperors that even come after Constantine, it, it's it's a roller coaster with whether they persecute Christians and it's certain types of Christians, some things they think is heresy because there's still this built in thinking 
that there is something godly about the emperor. And see, that's the, that's still part of what is embedded in this and why that the, the age of the church, that second age of church continues even after the edict, because Constantine still hasn't totally embraced every piece of this. He does. He obviously now accepts Christianity as being a religion that needs to be accepted in the Roman empire. And that vision obviously awoken him to Christianity, but until he receives baptism in 337 is when he goes all in that this is exactly the way we should be following. Okay. Okay. That, that Christianity is the way and that Christ is the way. So that becomes the event. You can go and look at the, the, you can read about the history of the church and see all the popes and archbishops. One of the main guys that's in this period time period is a guy by, excuse me, a guy by the name of, um, I'll let you edit this part out. Athanasius, sorry. So my notes, my computer was being all weird there, Bob. (laughs) So, all right, here we go. A guy by the name of Athanasius that is living in this time period becomes the Archbishop of Alexandria. His, his presence is huge. He's, he's right there at the end of the second age of the church. And he's there at the beginning of the third age of the church. And Athanasius becomes that guy that is the connector between the old followings of Christianity, transitioning that into the modern era. A lot of our understandings of Christianity today and a lot of our theological points of view, including in his festal letter in in the 360s that he will write, is what sets the tone for a a certain 27 writings to be considered sacred that we now call the New Testament. That eventually gets adopted in in 397 in the third age of the church. Okay. But the second age of the church. This is significant. Mm -hmm. And because now we have a written account that we follow and only these writings can be read in a church session. Mm, okay. These other the books. Second, the second be, age of the church, though, it didn't just affect Israel then. It affected all the known world at that time, right? Yes. So okay. what happens is, is, of course, Israel is disintegrated, and their last revolt is destroyed or put down, I should say, in 136. Then Hadrian dies, and then the next emperor that comes in, Antonus, Antonat, and I'm not always great with these names, so just forgive me. <laughs> um, but Antonius Pius becomes emperor. And so, and I, I've had to brush up on a lot of my church history. I didn't, I had studied this hard when I was young. Well, that's been a few years ago. So <laughs> when I was going through this, I saw that switch over. And it also, there was a switch over how Christians were being treated by the Roman Empire in that there was more of a focus put on getting Christianity out of society because now that they had dealt with the Jewish issue, now they wanted to deal more with the Christian issue. They had been dealing with it and there had been 
some kind of there have been some periods of persecution, but they ramp it up to another level because now they don't have to focus on the Jewish problem anymore. Right, right. Well, by persecuting the Christians, though, that caused them to flee to other parts of the world and, it and did. take the good news with them. Right. Exactly. And it started spreading Christianity. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, is Christianity not only spreads, but in the Roman Empire, the more they persecute, the more it becomes popular amongst <laughs> normal people. You know, some of the greatest movements in the church have been during periods of persecution. Mm-hmm. So that's something to always consider that the movement of the church has been the movement of Christianity spreading and becoming really alive and well in an area a lot of times has been done under intense persecution. Yeah. So it's, I think people in a general sense, and this is just my psychology coming out in me. um, People in a sense like to rebel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in, in a, in a lot of ways, sometimes the movement of the church has been a rebellious movement against civil authority. And, but yet those rebellious movements are done in the righteousness of the Holy Spirit because they are standing up against an authority that is trying to stamp out the gospel. Well, anytime, and we know this as Christians, anytime the gospel is being tried, is they're trying to put the gospel out and trying to push it out of an air of a society we know that a lot of times there's just intense growth, but there's also persecution that comes with that. And people rebel against civil authority. They do. So, and you'll see this, you know, and you can see this now when Christianity has been the power controlling things, we've seen rebellions against Christianity during those time periods. We'll see a lot of that in the fourth age of the church. There'll be a lot of that kind of that big roller coaster because that fourth age of the church is going to last about a thousand years. And yeah. so it'll, it'll start kick up in about 537, 538, and it'll go to about 15 to right up to about 1538. So, and I'll, Amen. when we get to the fourth age of the church, I'll get more in depth of that. But one thing to understand is that God is extremely organized in a timeline. And what I'm really layering out here, layering, and giving these layers and these ages of the church and what I'm presenting is that how organized God is. He had an organized format to follow and he had his timeline. And all I'm doing is reporting how that unfolded as time went on. So I'm not really being a futurist. I'm being an historian here. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, you mentioned the collection of writings that became known as the new Testament was started about this time in the second church age. Why did they settle on these writings that we have and not include some of the more popular books that we're aware of that were not included? You know, like I know every year I purchase a new version of a Bible just so I have it for a resource. And, and, and I have one of the, the Catholic Bibles, I guess is the generic name for it, but it's got books in there that, you know, date back to that period of time as well that uh you know some of the information in there and and it's not just that bible but other resources i've seen as well that you know they contain great information 
great concepts and insights into the teachings of Jesus. Why weren't they selected to be in the Bible? Well, to do that, we have to go back to the canonization of Scripture. And that's a whole nother topic that we could spend hours. We could have 10 podcasts on the canonization of Scripture um, because there, there was a lot of detail that went into that. But in short, things like the epistles of Barnabas and the writings mm -hmm. of Clement, um, Polycarp, thank, mm -hmm. thank my mother and dad not for naming me Polycarp, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but uh, Ignatius, you know, these guys were followers. Those guys were followers of the original disciples, and they had lots of writings, and they were continually writing these churches. And what I think people need to understand, and I think to really grasp this, is that those writings had a lot of value and it contained a lot of the same things that we have in the New Testament. But there would either be, number one, something in the writing, okay, that did not line up with the other writings and what they considered sacred, or it didn't add anything that was necessary. What we have to understand is that the word of God, that we what we consider the Bible, the word of God, is a series of writings written to specific people at specific times. And so one of the things that I started doing that really that I was really led to do, and I, I started doing this in the early 2000s, but even more so in 2016 when I started writing, is that the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to look at the total context of each writing. Who were these letters being written to? Because most of them are letters that are in the New Testament. And then what is that particular culture? What was that culture like? And then to start drawing out those comparisons of those cultures to ours, the Corinthian and the Ephesian culture, the Ephesus and Corinth, those cultures would have been very much a kind of an ancient culture, but would have been somewhat like what our culture is because they were infused with so many other different cultures like it is in the United States. We're a melting pot. Those were melting pots. They just were a little more ancient in their technology, but they were very similar. Corinth and Ephesus was very similar to Western society. Amen. It really it was. It just not quite as technologically or socially advanced, but they had a lot of the same things, a lot of the same issues, a lot of the same social components that we see today. And so those letters that Paul writes, I mean, we should pay attention to them because there's a lot of there, there's a you know, there's a lot of comparisons that you can draw that are and a lot of similarities between the cultures. So a lot of the same issues that are going on that were going on there are going on today. Yeah. And so, especially in the church. And then I would also point out that we need to be paying attention to revelation chapter three, verses 14 to 22, because there is a ton of similar, there's a ton of information embedded in that, which you will learn on my podcast, because I talk about the process that Jesus layers out in that, but it also gives us information and understanding of what we're really dealing with spiritually right now. He is speaking to that age of the church, which is this age of the church. Now yeah. that is Jesus speaking directly to us. 
Amen. Amen. Scott, this has been so fascinating. Share with us how someone can reach out to you and get more information on this. Well, first of all, they can obviously go to my podcast. Um, and it's called The God-Centered Concept. And you can find that pretty much on every podcast platform, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcast and some of the other the other ones that aren't as that are a little smaller. I also have my website um, that also works and we can obviously post that link as you have that. Mm -hmm. And then you can also email me, which I have my email on my website and on the podcast. So, you know, feel free to it's GCC God centered concept, 2038 at gmail.com. Amen. And so one thing I do want to add, Bob, that I think is very important is that this timeline that we're on right now, this time period, not only this time period, but this timeline that the church has been on is very organized. And as, as we're going to see through this particular series that we're, you and I are discussing, we're going to see breakdowns. So if we start from when Peter gets that vision, that's going to start somewhere between about 36 and 39 AD is, is what most scholars think most biblical scholars think it was about that time period when he received that vision. I'm not saying there's not some arguments of, of it being a certain year or whatever, but it's about that time period, most likely. 136 to 138 AD would have been the end of the first stage of the church with the Jewish revolt, last one being put down by the Emperor Hadrian. And then it would have switched to the second age of the church right about that time when the new emperor takes, takes the throne in 138. This particular age of the church will end right around 337, 338, when Constantine baptized and dies. This age of the church is going to go through a lot of upheaval, a lot in the third age of church. It's called this third age of the church, which we're going to discuss the next time, is called the political church. The second age of the church, the church of Smyrna that we're discussing right now, this is the persecuted church. It really is. And it's persecuted by the Roman empire. So, and that, and, and, and basically that evolution of that 200 year mark from about 138 to about 337 to 338, that 200 year period is an evolution of Christianity, not only spreading to other areas because of the persecution and spreading through the Roman empire, but it also shows how Christianity starts to become a world power. And we will see that play out and culminate in 538. I know we're starting to see these dates. They're like, boy, there's a lot of 37s and 38s. What's going on here? That's what I started picking up when I started seeing different events. And I was reading through all this church history um, that I will get into as we go along in, in future episodes. And I'll, I'll show you a complete timeline. Amen. Amen. And it'll be in, which also leads me to this is that we're actually, I'm going to write a book on this starting here in July. I'm going to write a book on this timeline. Amen. Amen. Uh, Share a little bit about that with us. Well, obviously you've listened to these first two episodes and I'm, you got to realize I'm trying to squeeze and you and I've talked about this, a lot of information into this 20 minute time frame that you and I have this 20, 30 minute time frame. But what that book's going to do is it's going to layer out each age of the church and what that looks like. 
I'm going to layer out even about when it should end. The seventh age of the church will end. Understand this. What my book is not going to be about is what's going to happen after that. I'm not going to say that there's going to be, you know, some people believe there's going to be a rapture that ends the age of the church. I'm not going to talk about that. You you guys have plenty of resources, lots of eschatology out there to read with different points of view, different theories. That is not what this book is going to be. What I'm going to do for people is make it very simple. I'm going to take some very complex things and simplify this timeline so that they have something simple that will help them understand the history of this and how each age of the church broke down, how the church developed, and then how eventually it will fade and what and what went on in each age and kind of how to highlight that. I, there, there's some things out there. I personally don't think there's been enough put into understanding the seven ages of the church. I really don't. There's been, a, there's been, there's, there's some scholars that have talked about it and I've seen some different things, but I think there's just assumptions that were made along the way to get to be able to talk about future events instead of saying, wait a minute, asking more, really what you got to do when you do this is you've got to ask lots of questions. And that's really what the Holy spirit impressed upon me. He started putting those questions in my heart. And I just started looking at that in different ways. I was like, okay, that makes more sense because some things just didn't make sense to me. And being a guy that teaches history, that has looked at history, that studies it, it just, some things didn't make sense to me. Hmm. Okay. And when do you anticipate this book being released? I am hoping by the end of this year, my goal is to have it released by the end of this year. So right now we obviously, we've got to, I've got to get it written, which I've got some things already written out anyway. It's, it's kind of like when you go do your research and you got all your note cards and they're just scattered everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now we got to start bringing some of that in. Yeah. Okay. What do we got to add to try to do all this? And then obviously got to get it edited. Um, and then I've got to raise funds and get, go to a publisher and see who will, who wants to take this project on. Yeah. And then hopefully that will lead to me, obviously eventually publishing the other books and getting those out as well. Amen. Amen. What will we be talking about next time? Well, we're going to dive. We're going to dive a little deeper into the third age of the church. We we touched on it, and I touched on a few of the events, but there's going to be a little bit more uh, into that, and then we'll start brushing up against that fourth age of the church, what some people call the tyrannical church, because the church becomes the dominant power when the Byzantine Empire takes Rome in 538. Yeah, that's really about the power of the Holy Roman Church, and it's ability to in not only influence the world but to dominate it's that part of the world and spread that across the globe well not the entire globe but much of europe and asia and the middle east and you know the crusades will be involved in all that i mean so we're gonna we're gonna start knocking on those doors amen amen and your book god-centered concept journal making god's word my ways it's already published it's on amazon correct Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's just a good journal for you to follow my, uh, my podcast with, but you can also just use it as your personal journal. I've got different sizes available. So, you know, depending on if you like a bigger one like me, or you might like a smaller one, that's more a little bit of just handheld that you can have in, 
you know, wherever. So some people like them smaller, some of them like bigger. So there are some different options available on there. Amen. And before we close again, share again about your podcast. So the God centered concept right now, I've already, we've got a bonus episode. We have 12 episodes already released. We're getting ready. I'm getting ready to do the 13th one this weekend, as well as I may go ahead and do the 14th one as well and get them both out. Had a little gap of time uh, in there because I was re uh, I had to redo some technology. So I had a little gap of releasing between the 11th and 12th episode for that reason. But we got that all figured out, bought some new equipment. Um, So we've kind of we've kind of ramped things up actually in that time period. And uh, now what we're doing is we're just digging deeper into processes. And so right now, what these episodes that I'm putting out right now are about is how God has the right to train us and test us, but that we have to submit to that so he can grow us. Amen. 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 I'll put links to all this down in the show notes below. Folks, there is no doubt we're living in what Jesus and historical Christian scholars have called the end times. We're working our way through each of the church ages in order to give you a more thorough understanding of how all this fits into what we're witnessing right now all around us. We should not be in a state of fear and trepidation. No, 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 no. We need to be excited. We need to be thanking God for the day and time in which we live. I mean, the Bible even says, Jesus told us, your eyes will see things that others wanted to see but couldn't. And we're experiencing it right now. These are the days Jesus talked about looking forward, not saying fear and trepidation. He said looking forward to these days. Amen. I mean, in each of the church ages, Scott's going to be sharing with us, those people who lived in that era were born in that era for a reason, in that era, right? Which means God laid out the entire history of mankind, and he had to know you would be born now for a reason. What is that reason? To be part of ushering in the return of King Jesus. Amen. So I want to leave you with this thought. And as you witness all these things happening around us, don't be filled with fear, but faith and look up because the Bible says your redemption is drawing near. Scott, I appreciate you coming back on the program today and I'm looking forward to the next one, brother. Thank you, Bob. And I I look forward to speaking about the third age of the church here. So we'll have to get this uh, booked and done quickly. Amen. Praise God. Folks, that's all the time we have for today. For Scott Wright and myself, Pastor Bob and Ronnie, to be blessed in all that you do. You have been listening to Revelation Warning with Pastor Robert Thibodeau and his guest expert on Bible prophecy as it relates to current events. This podcast is not designed to invoke fear, but concern. Help us to make everyone aware that the soon return of Jesus is close at hand by clicking the like, subscribe, and then share buttons below. Share this episode with your loved ones, friends, and coworkers. For more information on our ministry, please visit podcasterforchrist.com. And be sure to come back next week for another episode of Revelation Warning.